Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Good day, everyone. This is Tony Moskal with your high school sports podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, Los Angeles' number one sports podcast network. The only place with a show for everyone. We believe in our teams. Do you believe? Football might be over, but the NBA, college basketball, and the NHL are in full swing. And the only place you should be betting on these sports is at betonline.ag. Who would have thought Duke, North Carolina, Kentucky, the Blue Bloods of college basketball may not make the NCAA tournament. BetOnline covers even award shows, TV shows, reality TV. BetOnline has hundreds of props with real-time odds on almost anything you can imagine. And of course, the 24-hour online casino. So head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. That's betonline.ag. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Normally on the podcast, I have a standout athlete or a standout coach who has a tremendous amount of success. Well, this week I've got both in one. While at Carpinteria High School, he excelled at both football and track, earning seven varsity letters. He was the CIF Athlete of the Year in 1990. He led the Warriors to four CIF championships, two undefeated seasons as a player and a coach. He held and may still hold several records on the gridiron. In track, he was just as dominant. The Santa Barbara County champion of both the 800 and the 1600 in 1988 and 89. He earned six CIF individual championships and set school records in the 400, 800, and 1600, as well as CIF Division IV records in the 800 and 1600. He finished third at the state championship in the 1600 in 1988, second in 1989, and winning it all in 1990 with a time of 406-26. As a coach at Carpinteria, he held a record 51-24-2. The Warriors were runner-up in 1998 and won the CIF championship in 2002 with a record of 14-0. In 2003, he left to become the head football coach, track coach at Vista Murrieta High School. His football teams were tremendously successful, often finding themselves in the championship game, winning that championship in 2011 and finishing as a runner-up three other times. His track and field teams have won the Division I CIF championships four years in a row. Welcome to the podcast, Coley Kandel. Man, that is that is a good resume. <laughs> it seems uh, a long time ago, another lifetime, when you start talking about high school now, but uh, it is, uh, it's been a fun journey and a uh, you know, everywhere I've gone and everybody I've been around. So it is, uh, it's fun to look back in the past. Now you, you started Carpinteria. You're a, you're a student there. Did first question, how do you go to class with the beach right there? And how often did you guys ditch class and go to the spot for food? Uh, you know, we, we didn't do much of that. And you funny, you grow up in that atmosphere and you don't realize what you have until you leave. Um, and so I was able to go to high school there and have the experience of a lot of our runs were to the beach, run along the beach, and then run back. Uh, then obviously being able to go back there and teach and coach for six years was that same experience as you really don't know what you have until you leave. And now that I'm a little bit away from the beach, I'm very jealous of my times when I do go back. And I always ask myself, uh, why did I leave? <laughs> so it is a it is a thing that you don't really take advantage of a lot when you're there. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like I live up by Magic Mountain and everybody says, how often do you go? I said, well, never really. 
So did you always compete in both sports? Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I started playing tackle football probably, I can't remember, fifth grade. And I started playing tackle football. And I played, I ran cross country and track all the way up from age of six to nine. And then at about age nine, I retired from uh, my uh, track and field career to pursue. I wanted to play everything. I wanted to play baseball. I wanted to play basketball. I wanted to play tackle football. Um, so I wanted to experience what other kids were experiencing. I just didn't want to be, you know, I knew I was successful in running and, but I was not, uh, I wanted to find my, you know, what I really was passionate about. And so I played playing football and then about my eighth grade year, I came back to track and found my passion still in distance running, but the awkward combination of being a quarterback in football and a distance runner in track. So that started my, uh, my journey there. How awkward was it? I mean, because there's, they're so different, but you know, let's talk about your dominance in both sports. What was it like being so dominant on the gridiron and, and out on the track? It's just what I did. I didn't know any better. And I know scientifically the training uh, styles of being a quarterback and playing football and being a distance runner are different. However, but people always forget that science does not determine your mind and your competitiveness and how great you want to be in both. Uh, that's something that science can't test. And those things are more important. As I've gone over my coaching and playing years, it's really the passions that kids have, the reasons why they do things that cause them to excel. And mine in high school was I wanted to excel in football and I wanted to excel in track and no one was going to tell me different. And everybody told me, of course, hey, you're top distance runner in the state in the nation. You need to you're going to get hurt in football. No, if I get hurt in football is because that's my choice. It's what I want to do. It's um, it's the life I want to live. And I think people forget about um, these kids and living the life that they want to live, not living someone else's life or what's been done before them. So that's kind of was my experience that I kind of take into my coaching now that hey, you need a wide variety of experiences until you find your why. And I, I'm a firm believer in kids playing multiple sports. Obviously, you are as well. And 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 I've got my negative opinion on those guys that that don't allow kids to do it because they want to hold on to them selfishly for their own for their own sport or their own reasons. And I think kids benefit so much from playing multiple sports. What was it like for you? Where was your biggest benefit from playing two sports? Change, you know, change of scenery, a change of a season. I think, uh, you know, the concept there is no off season is a horrible concept for kids. Um, they need to have a start and they need to have an end. And if you have the right kid, they're going to be competitive. They're going to find a way to compete because that's what competitors do. Uh, by training all year in one thing, I did that would have, oh, I would have been out of sport. One of the sports I'd have been out of so quick because it didn't give me variety. It gave me opportunity to be taught by different coaches, different coaching styles. It also allowed my body to um, develop um, and not get injured. Uh, I wasn't worn out. I wasn't fatigued. I wasn't, I always look forward to the start of football season. I always look forward to the end of football season and the start yeah. of track season. I always look forward to the end of track season. I don't have to run anymore. I get to go. So even though I, there was crossover, I mean, I would train 
um, for during football season, I'd wake up early in the morning and run in the morning, not much, a couple miles here and there. Um, but I'd wake up in the morning three or four times a week and just run before I went to football practice. And then in football during fo- track season, I was in the weight room, um, doing my stuff and, um, training for football and getting ready for football. So it wasn't like I wasn't thinking about the other sport. It just wasn't my priority at that time. But you were still working on one or the other. What was it like mentally for you? Because obviously football, a just a, a grueling sport in its own right, cross country, a grueling sport in its own right. How was your mental preparation different for both of those? Or was it pretty much the same? Pretty much the same. I think um, a competitor is a competitor. Um, they don't care what the ball looks like. They don't look what, what the scoreboard looks like. They just want to uh, beat their opponent and find a way to do that. That's what competitors do. They don't care if it's you know hopscotch, um, basketball, football, track, uh, underwater BB stacking. It doesn't really matter what the sport is. As long as they're keeping score or putting a time down there, competitors want to win. And it doesn't matter what arena they're in. And I think sometimes in the people I've talked to have said, I want multi-sport athletes because they've competed in different areas. Some for you as an individual in cross country, which is also a team sport, but you're out there on your own. And then football, which is the ultimate team sport. Yeah, there. I mean, obviously that's the great thing that I had. I had the luxury of a, a team, super unbelievable team sport in football. The most, um, in my opinion, the uh, ultimate team sport there is out there. And then you have running, which is one of the most individual sports out there. Uh, However, it was nice to take, and I've always talked with my coaching and my, because that was my experience. My coaches did a great job making track and field about the team, not about the individual at Carpinteria. And hence now I carry that same philosophy into my coaching in track and field, even though it is majority, you know, individual base, but if you can add that team um, into that, our kids just love the team aspect of track and field. And you've been a successful coach wherever you've been, whatever you've done. What are the keys to you being successful? What, what is it that is, is your philosophy, is your driving thing that allows you to be so successful no matter what you do? I think my, you know, in terms of a coach, in terms of an athlete, the most important thing is consistency, consistency of attitude, consistency of effort every day. Uh, those are things I see the most beneficial in any sport. It doesn't matter. I'm, I can't sit, you know, two sports I'm involved in, but if I was involved in anything else, it'd be the same thing. Consistency of attitude and consistency of effort every day. Uh, that's there's no one miracle workout. There's not one miracle play. There's not one miracle. Go see a trainer and do this for one day. It's what you do every day with your attitude and your consistency of your work ethic that makes a difference. So in football, same. I have the same philosophy. In track and field, I have the same philosophy. Did your coaching style change at all from football? Because football, you see, you know, it's a violent game, obviously. You see a lot of guys out there yelling and screaming and, and cross country, you know, you hey, for a workout, hey, go run nine miles. I, you know, I can't yell and scream at you while you're out there. But was there a difference for you? Yeah, I mean, football, obviously, the, you just have to look at your game that you teach. The, and the game of football is so much, if you're not prepared or you're not, you know, physically ready, um, you get hurt. 
it's a violent sport. And so there is a little bit difference. Um, in football, I found myself holding the team accountable. In track and field, I, ho- I feel like I hold the individual accountable. I think that's the um, accountability aspect change from coaching different sports is um, the team is responsible in football because you have to have 11 guys working on the same page in the same time every play. Um, and then obviously track and field, you need to be able to focus on yourself and do your job as a part of the team's effort. You head down to Vista Murrieta. The school opens in the early 2000s. You become the head football coach. How did you find your way all the way down there from, from the beautiful shores of Carpinteria? Absolutely. Yeah, it's a question we always ask. But at the time, I was eight years of experience in teaching. Uh, so we're at that high, you know, that time where you have to move to say it right in scale. We couldn't afford a house in Carpinteria. Um, at that point, my wife was just finishing up her professional career in running. So she didn't quite have a job. We're like, man, how are we going to make this? We have a two bedroom, two bath condo near the beach, but we want to have kids and we want to have a family and we want to have a dog and we want to have all the things that make up a family. And that was just not going to happen anywhere near the beach, making the salaries we were making. So I took a chance and um, I actually knew an athletic director that would have been super successful in LA um, kind of area. And he moved out here. I'm like, if he's moving out there, uh, Ray Moore, if he's moving out there, something special, he's found something special. There's no reason to leave his situation. At that point, uh, my parents had already lived out here because my dad was coaching at Claremont College. Uh, So we told ourselves when we came and visited my parents, we'd never move out here away from the beach. But uh, (laughs) we talked about uh, allowing my wife to be with her kids, our kids at home and not have to work. Um, increase in pay, a very much a family atmosphere out here in the Myriad of Temecula where everything's based on young kids, family experiences. Um, we thought it was a perfect fit. And then once I got here, um, we're like, oh my gosh, we're a big school. We're going to be competing against the division one schools of everywhere. How are we ever going to survive? And that's where the journey began. When you take over the head football program, you know, most guys come in, take over a program that was somebody else left, but you started this thing from the ground up. What were the first things you needed to do as a head coach to establish a foundation in the Bronco program? Establish a philosophy and a a desire to be, you know, exactly who I am. Um, The things I believe in are character, I believe in work ethic and I believe in family. And those are the things that we talked about from day one. And from there, we, you know, the nice thing about going to a new school is if you aren't successful, you have one finger to blame at. One finger. That's it. It comes right back at you. No one else's problems, no one else's fault. It is all yours. And I, at that point in my career, I really wanted that build from, you know, from the foundation, from the ground, and go. And then, of course, we got to play against some really good teams that taught me a lot about um, how the game of football is played at the highest levels. Getting beat by Centennial was like, that was like a mind-changing and philosophy-changing games of just playing Centennial year after year and going, oh my gosh, okay, this is how you win. This is how you're successful. 
And how do I now, how do I adapt that to my environment at Vista Marietta? You go four and six your first year. The next year you, you win your first playoff game. You know, you, you go, I believe it was uh, eight and five. What did you learn from that first year that took you to the second year that allowed you to be so much more successful as far as wins and losses go? Not to, um, what's the best, you know, not to, for kids to not have excuses for the reasons why we lost that first year. You can, there's tons of excuses. We can say we were a first year program. We we didn't have any seniors. We had no seniors that first year playing in the Southwestern League. Um, you had every excuse in the book of why kids couldn't do it. And we never went to one of them. The expectation was, what do we need to do to change in order to be competitive at this level? What do we need to do? What's in our control of our people in this room? What can we do about it? Not to complain or worry about what other people were doing. We started just worrying about us. How do we get better every single day? And that matched our philosophy, my philosophy of character, you know, work ethic and family. And we just started growing and believing as one that this is the way we're going to do it. How cool was it for the kids that second year to say, wow, you know, we, we won our first playoff game. What was it like being around them and how much did that give you momentum wise moving forward? Because it seems like they bought in pretty quick. Yeah. Our biggest, the biggest change was we grew out of Marietta Valley at that point had 4,000 students. They were kind of, you know, so-and-so the best team in our league at that time. And they were dominant. And here we are a brand new program and none of the good football players from that, you know, from that group, a myriad of, they all stayed there. We had all of the second, third, fourth, fifth, and 10th string guys at Marietta Valley that couldn't play there. And just that edge of, I wouldn't even call it revenge, but just the motivation of why. When you talk about kids and being motivated, if you have a why that is strong, uh, you can almost do anything. And these kids had a why. They had a why that they did, Marietta Valley did not want them. And hence, they were going to do something. And of course, that next year, their first senior class, after two years after leaving Marietta Valley, they, they beat Marietta Valley in the second attempt to play them. And that was the huge changing point of our program was that game to beat them with guys that they didn't want. And that was kind of the changing attitude of our program of, oh, we beat them. What else can we do now? What are the bigger schools around that we can go after? And that was, you know, I think that's the one thing, our success from, you know, all of our sports from about 2008 to about 2016, we just had a philosophy of not worrying about who was the best in the Valley, but who was the best in the state, who was the best in the Southern section and trying to play those teams. Um, and that kind of led us to that push for the, that decade of um, going after the best. And you certainly did. You <clears throat> deep runs in the playoffs, um, epic battles with Matt and Centennial, you know, that, that five overtime game against Rancho Cucamonga. You know, you, you look at all of that and you think, wow, 
does that give you some satisfaction and the kids some satisfaction of knowing, hey, we came in, we started this new school, we built this, we we got to the top. Was it one of those you know, things that was where, kind the of kids, a- where they had that? Yeah, we did it kind of back at, at the schools they came from. No, I, I really don't. Besides that first game against Marietta Valley, that first game against Marietta Valley was emotional. And then after that, it became back to our mission and our mission that we, you know, we set up when we first um, did it, went to this Mary, we had a 10 year plan and we called it climbing the mountain and we had it laid out and everything we did was every milestone along the way to a CIF championship. And what are the milestones it takes to get there and introduced it to our kids day one. Here's where we are. Here's where you want to go. Unfortunately, none of you in this room is ever going to see the top. <laughs> That's yeah. the reality. But how do we, what do we need to do? What are the 10 things that we need to do in order to get to put ourselves in that position? And so it lived in our, you know, culture of our program for a good eight years and until we did it, because every single group of kids, every senior class, every team wanted to go one more step higher than this the class before, because if they didn't, they, they did nothing they, in their minds. Obviously we right. they all, they right. all did something, but in their minds, they didn't contribute to climbing the mountain. So every single one of them wanted a, a milestone. Let's take a moment to talk about our newest sponsor, eBay, whether rare dead stock or the latest released, find the exact shoe you're looking for as the original sneaker marketplace eBay is the place to go for the pair you've been eyeing. With eBay's authenticity guarantee, your sneakers are meticulously inspected by independent professional authenticators. Tough word for me to say. A team of experienced sneaker authenticators verify the box, logo, stitching, and dozens of other inspection points. Each sneaker also receives an authenticity guarantee tag that includes a digital stamp of authenticity. And for sneaker sellers out there, eBay has eliminated selling fees on sneakers for $100 or more, making it free to sell or flip your collection. Go to ebay.com slash sneakers today, the world's best destination for discovering great value and unique selection. Back here with Coach Coley Kandel of Vista Murrieta High School. In 2011 and 12, you go 14-0 on the field technically, you know, the, according to the rules, you guys were nine and five. There was a clerical error, I guess, from a player from Georgia who was later ruled eligible. I kind of refresh my memory. I don't mean to, you know, bring up some bad memories, but you know, you, you had a great year there. Yeah. I was, uh, it was um, one of those things that no one would have ever known. I mean, it was a kid who lived in Florida Started school for a couple days. Um, mom, um, unfortunately, left a marriage and took her kid overnight to back to Georgia and then didn't roll her in, roll his kid in school for a year until they found housing, until they could get life going again. Well, she re-enrolled her kid who took a week of school in Florida as a freshman in Georgia. And then he started playing from there. So he went to school for four or five days in Florida, um, which started his clock technically by CIF. 
but never played anything, never did anything. And then mom was uprooted because of a divorce and we restarted her, her kid over. And so hence, when we were doing college applications with our kids, that's when it came out. When the kid goes, oh, yeah, yeah, I did go to school for four days. <laughs> and the floor were like, what? It's not on any transcript. It doesn't show up on any transcript. It doesn't show. There's no proof that he ever went to school. It was the kid's word that he went to school for four or five days. The school in Florida still doesn't even have the information. The kid is the information. And it goes down to our principles of character. Yeah. No, this is completely a thing that a kid told to a coach. We went, honestly, wise, this is a learning experience. We are going to report it. We're going to self-report because the kid technically went to school for a week in Florida. And this is not his his fourth year. It's his fifth year. Okay. And CIF, CIF when we filed the paperwork, um, took a whole half a day to cl- declare him eligible. Wow. He turned the paperwork in on like a Thursday and by Thursday afternoon, he was cleared. However, it doesn't based on the rules of the CIF back then is the paperwork wasn't filed before. Wow. Wow. What a, what a, a greatly weird story there. Uh, you know, you had some great teams, some great players, some epic battles with some of the best in the Southern section, but you decided to step down in 2015, 16, what was the reasoning behind that? And were you just tired of football or did you want to get into something else? No, I wasn't tired of football. You know, I was, I was driving home at night and my, my daughter was a freshman there at, at that time. And she was running cross country and my wife was coaching her in cross country. And I was coaching, going to co- eventually coach her in track. But I'm like, I have two daughters. One was at that time, I think she was in seventh grade and my daughter was a freshman or sixth grade and seventh grade. And I'm like, I do not want to be, you know, both my daughters leave my house and I ever have regrets of not spending every possible minute with their experience uh, in terms of high school and missing it because trying to be a high school football coach. So I said, you know, I'll give it up until they graduate and then make decision. That's and what a great thing to do because we all have kids. We all want to coach our kids. And for someone like me, their, their ability goes well above and beyond my coaching ability. But, you know, you're helping your wife who was a great runner at South Hills, then UCLA. And how special was it for you to be able to coach your daughters and be there with your wife all at the same time? It was really magical. Obviously from the get go, teaching my older daughter, um, Peyton was just a lot of fun. And it was just that experience of here. It was funny when I was still had my, you know, of course we were practicing around the football team. So I'd always peek my eye out there, but I wasn't drawn to be out there. I was like, this is what I want to do. And then it became super magical. My Peyton's senior year, because for one year I had my daughter Peyton as a senior, my freshman daughter, Devin as a freshman and both my, my wife and I coaching the same team, on the same team, every day at practice, in the car, um, everything. So that was something you just can't ever take away. And then that year we have a magical uh, season. We um, get second in the state, um, and then we go to nationals and get seventh in the nation 
at NXN. So it was this, this family experience that you can never take away that it was all worth every second. What were the car rides back and forth to practice like? Did anybody ever argue or was it, did you, was it easy to separate the, the athletic part from the family part or was that difficult? It was, but it wasn't because, uh, you know, it was, again, in hindsight, I don't know if it was the best thing for my daughters. <laughs> I don't, you don't know. Uh, obviously they think it's a, probably a very special, but in maybe 10 years, but at the time and still now with my daughter, it's, it's hard. It's hard to, um, we separate it. We don't talk about it much at all. Um, but you know, it's there, it's existing. So it's one thing that I would suggest to every, um, you know, at least father daughter is let them be coached by somebody else. (laughs) (laughs) It's, uh, it's, you know, it just depends on the individual, of course, but my daughter, I thought, okay, I'm, I'm helping her, but I think she'd be really more attentive and um, inspired by somebody different. She sees me as dad, and, yeah. which is great. Yeah. She, it's hard for her to see me as coach. It is difficult, but that year, what a magical year, you guys. I believe you get home from Fresno, the story is, you're runner-up at the CIF State, and you're awaiting the fate of, of the team to head to Oregon. And, and you get the text. How much were you stressing over that, whether or not you guys were going to be invited to Oregon to run in the Nationals? Me? I, of course, I'm excited. And that was a passion. But it's really how I coach all my teams is I have them. They come up with their why. Why are you going to come to practice every day? Why are you going to do the things necessarily to be, and I make them do it, have their why, because then I hold their why against them all year. I mean, that's kind of how I work is you guys come up with your why, and then I'm going to hold you accountable to that why. So for me, I was excited and, but it wasn't like, I was more excited for them because they were the ones on pins and needles. They were the ones that were stressing. They cared about it more than I did. And it's kind of another goes back to another coaching philosophy is if the kid cares about what you're doing more than I do, we're going to be just fine. And if it's the other way around, then we've got a problem. It's going to be a miserable season. Yeah. And uh, we've all experienced the miserable season because kids don't care, don't care about as more as you do, that you care more than they do. And it's just one of those things that, I just won't go, I don't go down that alley. I, I go to their, I inspire them and I have them do high goals and, and visualization of what they want to accomplish and come up with their why, but I don't do the work. I can't do the work for them. They have to put the work in. So that night was the excitement on their faces was uh, something that they knew their why. Their why was that whole year was to get to NXN. And how, what do we need to do to get there? Okay, this is what we need to do. And you ended up getting there. And, and, and what a tremendous experience that was for everybody. And what a great event that Nike puts on for, for all the cross-country teams in the country. And, and I've seen it. Um, you know, a friend of ours was running. She went to school in Michigan. And we actually watched it online because my son's school was up there running. And, and it, it's what a great event it is. How did they take it in? Or how did they, you know, um, 
not be wowed so much by it and stay focused on their task. You know, that I remember we, we went to celebrate that night because we had to fill out a bunch of stuff about from Nike uh, that night. So it's a Sunday, Saturday night. We're already exhausted from the travel from Fresno and we're in some uh, burrito place <laughs> in Marietta <laughs> filling out all our applications and the kids filling their thing. And I remember the kids asking, what's our new why? What's our new purpose? Coach, we're ready to hit our purpose. What's our new? I'm like, that's up to you. And it became a talk of, we don't want to just go and be like the teams that first go all the time and get awed by Nike and then forget that they're there to run. We want to do something special while we're there. We want to be top 10. We want to be top 10 in the nation in our first ever NXM. And then what helped was uh, we were an at-large team and the naysayers around the country, <laughs> we had so much negative publicity about getting asked to go that that just that added a lot of spark and fire to our kids that they wanted to prove that they belonged and they were the right team to go and they were running the best they possibly could at that time. So we came, even though we were awed by Nike, which is a great experience for anybody to be, you know, taken care of by Nike, but these kids had a purpose. Um, They went there to find, you know, really get top 10 and prove everybody wrong that they do belong there. And, they were a team to be reckoned with. And, and your teams every year are, are teams to be reckoned with. And, uh, you know, I, it's always fun catching up with you, seeing you out at the cross-country events when my son was running cross-country or, or in a football game now that you're the athletic director. And now cross-country is up and running. Football is just, you know, we're, we're, we're almost there. And, and, and hopefully we can get down and, and, and see you guys play and we can, we can catch up in person. The last thing I want to do is I want to ask you five really quick questions that really have nothing to do with anything. Absolutely. The last time we saw each other was at a hockey game. It was was at a Kings game. And uh, I remember I said, hey, I'm doing this podcast. And you're like, and you're wearing your Kings jersey and everything. So I've got a couple of Kings questions for you. Favorite Kings player of all time, not named Gretzky. Rohi Vachon. Uh, wow, go wow. Old Sean was uh, my introduction to hockey. Um, I was, I, I'm, you know, unfortunately, I, unfortunately, unfortunately, I've been a Kings uh, fan since birth and watching Rogie um, at the forum and just brought memories back to me in terms of, uh, you know, a team that struggled and didn't win a lot, but he showed up every day in the pipes and just uh, did his job to the best of his ability. So I was just always impressed by Rogi. And I love him. He brought it every night. Your favorite yes. Kings moment, not Stanley Cup related. Uh, game seven uh, against um, Gilmore in Toronto. Um, first time the Kings went to the Stanley Cup ever. Uh, beating him in game seven. I've seen, I can't even think of his Gilmore's first name now. Doug he Gilmore. Face, but he, Dougie Gilmore, Doug Gilmore, and just that experience. And uh, it felt like, I can't remember, I get them all confused, but it felt like just that that series, the Toronto Maple Leaf King series, just lasted a month. It was just 
And I remember finally winning and going to Stanley Cup and going, I can't believe it. After all that misery <laughs> of year after year, we're going to the Cup. And then Marty McSorley's stick ruins it oh. for everybody. <laughs> we're we're going to win that. We're going to win that series. If McSorley's, and that was a complete conspiracy. There's no yeah. way they got me ice. But what somebody, a game changer. Somebody. Farthest, the farthest you've ever traveled to see the Kings. You know, I've never seen them out of the state. I've never. I, I, I just go to the home games. And it's probably because of my schedule um, with track and field and football covering through the entire um, hockey season. Um, it's, I don't ever get that chance. The time I only get the chance is last minute. Oh gosh. Hey, we're out of track practice at four 30. Hey, can I get tickets? Can I get down there in time to uh, get back, you know, get there? What's traffic like? That's kind of my experience. Uh, unfortunately, when I get older and retire, yep, we have it on our bucket list to, uh, go to the Kings game and hockey night in Canada. So, so that's kind of our, one of our buckets. Too bad the old Montreal forum isn't around anymore or Maple Leaf gardens or any of the old, you know, stale smelling hockey arenas, but it's, it's, it's still hockey. Uh, Now, knowing that you and your wife were such great runners, you at Oregon and Cal Poly and your wife at UCLA, if you were to both run the 1600 right now, who wins? Oh, I crush her. <laughs> she'd, she'd get crushed. You know, even in my worst eight days, even when she, if she was good in my worst day, she would get beat once. I might not be able to walk that day, next day, but she would get crushed. It's, and, and it's a pride thing. <laughs> oh, it's definitely, it's not about, it's not um, anything. That we're, we're both competitive and we're both willing to put it out there for one performance. And Whatever that might be. We might not be able to walk the next day, but we're able to grit our teeth. Now, we've been on many runs that when I am hurting a little bit, and all of a sudden the pace picks up by her because she's trying to run me into the ground and drop me. So <laughs> it uh, it's, goes both ways. Proven a point. A favorite memory from either your playing career or your coaching career? Oh, my gosh. You know, I've been so fortunate to be around so many great experiences from my Olympic trials experience with Michael Norman to uh, winning CIF championships to seeing former players play in Division One. I, I just, there's not one, there's just not one experience from winning state championships in track to, because every single kid that's ever committed something or teammate that's ever committed something for us to do something great. It wouldn't, I couldn't say one was better than the other. They're all special. They just can't. Again, I think my life changing experience, if you're asking for one experience that changed my life was the 1980 Olympic games when the uh, Russian, the U S beat the Russians in, uh, um, in hockey In hockey that changed my life. And, you know, the anniversary of that game is tomorrow. I know. That is, and, and, and it's my wedding anniversary. So I share a wedding anniversary with the greatest sports moment in the history of the United States. I, I know exactly where I was. And, of course, there's lots of events that you know exactly where you were. I can still feel the feelings I felt. I feel watching on my little nine-inch black right. and white TV in, in Nampa, Idaho, 
and just being on edge every second. Because they had lost 10 to three just, you know, about a week before. It wasn't 10 to three. It could have been 30 to nothing. Yeah. <laughs> they really, it was ugly. And that's, that was my changing moment that an attitude, a team can do anything if they have the right preparation and the right attitude and committed to each other more than their individual needs and wants. That it's was more my kind of inner it's more about what's on the front of the jersey than on the back, which is why a lot of teams don't have names on the back. Never had a name on my jerseys. And uh, that's one of the reasons why. Because I always thought the name on the front was way more important than the name on the back. That's I, And I agree with you. And, and Coach, man, I, I want to thank you so much for taking the time uh, to do this. I'm, I'm hoping our paths cross, you know, this, this football season uh, or, or even next year. Um, you know, it's always a pleasure catching up with you and, and saying hi and, and talking either cross country or football and, and now Kings hockey. <laughs> Absolutely. A weird group of uh, integrated sports. That's and, it's, my, uh... and it's all, it, it's all great, man. It's all great. And, and hey, next time you're at a Kings game, you're going to a Kings game. My wife works 40 of them a year. So we'll, oh. we'll, def we'll definitely hook up. That'll be great. Well, yeah. I I can't wait to be able to go back to an arena. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I know that some places have fans and some don't, but man, let's get this thing turned around and let's get fans back in the stands. Oh, that would be, you know, again, I don't think people will take things for granted as much as they did before. Yeah. I, I, I know definitely I will not, I will enjoy every minute of every experience that I possibly can because you just don't know when it's going to be taken away from you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I've, I've enjoyed this and, and I want to thank you again. And I want to thank everybody for listening. Uh, you know, good news out of the governor's office, hopes on the horizon, get the numbers, keep going down. Let's get the kids out there and thank you for listening. And I want to thank Coley Kendall, Vista Murrieta for taking the time to do this until next time. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you for listening to believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.